Hi everybody, welcome to the Florida Basketball Hour. I'm Neil Blackman, your host. Uh, on this episode, we're going to talk about Florida's loss to Mississippi State. Um, obviously, another disappointing game where uh, the Gators couldn't close. Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com, will join me. Uh, we'll talk a lot about what happened down the stretch and uh, just kind of where this team goes from from here. You know, the uh, continue to to fall just short of, of getting signature wins and look very much the part of a team that, that is headed for the NIT uh, if, if they head to the postseason at all at this point. And we're going to get into it. Um, thanks for listening. Remember to, to go ahead and hit us up on uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify, iTunes, any of those places. Um, if you like what you hear, give us a rating. And always send us food feedback uh, at Florida BB Hour on Twitter. Um, is probably the easiest way to hit us up. So uh, thanks for listening and enjoy the show. All right, everybody. Uh, Neil Blackman back with Eric Fawcett, GatorCountry.com. Um, one of the busiest, one of the busiest people covering. Uh, the Gators are this sport this time of year. I mean, it's up to a couple columns uh, every couple days, which is a pretty impressive uh, work output. But, Eric, what did you think of uh, Florida's uh, performance in Starkville Tuesday night? Obviously, uh, another close game and another loss. I think that's the story right there, and that's uh, that's kind of been the theme of the last two seasons for sure is that the Gators just haven't been able to win these one-possession games. They haven't been able to get on the right side of these tight matchups. And it's kind of interesting because kind of from from my outlook on basketball and a lot of the studies on analytics, I mean, these one-possession games are usually – they usually kind of balance out. You lose some – you lose one here, you win another one there, and uh, usually it's uh, it's about equal. But uh, that that hasn't been the case for Florida. Uh, The Gators just haven't been able to be on the right side of, of close games. And um, that probably calls into uh, coaching maybe a little bit. I think it's a lot of the fact that Florida's roster the last two years just hasn't really had a go-to guy outside of, uh, outside of Jalen Hudson's uh, kind of his scoring last year. Um, that obviously was still a little bit streaky. Um, it, they just haven't had a guy to, to win a game. And in a game like that, uh, Florida just needed a big stop. They didn't get the stop. And, and that was the game. It was a pretty good effort for, uh, for 40 minutes. I think they played well enough to win. But it came down to one possession, and uh, yeah, they couldn't make it happen. Yeah, kind of, uh, you know, and I'm with you on on the the guy kind of idea. I, I really feel like Florida had most of what you want in that in Chris Chios last year, and, and then you know that that team was a preseason Final Four contender, operating under the assumption Johnny Bunu would come back and play. He never did. And you know, Florida, Florida under Mike White to be frank, looks a lot different with John Agbunu than it does without him. Um, despite the Elite Eight run, is that, that kind of, is that fair to say? I think that's really fair to say. And uh, one of the things through the Mike White era has been that they've been a team that was, uh, you know, kind of based around defense and, and toughness and, and winning games ugly. So having a, having a John Agbunu really helps that. And when you try to play that style without some of those guys, without a Justin Leon, without a, uh, the athleticism of Devin Robinson, um, it makes it a lot tougher. You know, another guy that I mentioned that I think Florida misses, and, and I didn't really feel like Florida missed him 
and this could be just my fault, uh, you know, maybe overlooking it. I feel like Florida really is starting to miss Igor Kulichov. I think this team, you know, needs somebody that has a little bit of a nastiness and a little bit of an edge. And, you know, Igor, the thing about Igor was he could go and shoot like 0 for 8. I looked it up the other day. He went up to Rupp Arena and was 0 for 8 from the floor, but he had nine rebounds and two blocks, right? Like, and, and that's the kind of, that kind of nastiness. I'm just not going to let anything bother me. And we're just going to, if we have a black guy, we're going to come out of here with a dub. I don't know who that guy is on Florida right now. Right. Um, I, I probably uh, am not as much of a fan of his game as maybe you, you are. Not, but, uh, <laughs> but he did have that mindset. I'm, not, I'm definitely not arguing with you uh, um, about that mindset he had. And, uh, but like you said, I, I, think, um, I think the one problem with our kind of with the lineup and I, the, the guy that you just described, I think perhaps that guy is Kavarius Hayes. But the problem with Kavarius Hayes is it's not like you're giving him the ball in the clutch. And I think he, he has a lot of the passion and a lot of that will to win that probably some of their skill players do not have. So, I, like, I mean, if, if Kayvon Allen had the mindset of, of Kavarius Hayes, um, I think you'd have a guy that would really want to get it done in the clutch. Or, uh, or a Jalen Hudson. If Jalen Hudson had – if it was his skill set with a Kavarius Hayes mindset, uh, I mean, that's quite the player right there. Um, but, but, that, but, yeah, I think that's kind of, kind of the issue. Uh, Kavarius Hayes can be a leader on the defensive end. Um, but when you don't kind of bring that skill set to the offensive side, uh, I think you're going to have uh, some times like that where you don't have guys that can close offensively. Yeah, I talked to uh, a Gator from, from the mid-Donovan era who didn't want me to, uh, to, to quote him on, on the record by name, which, which is unfortunate. But, but his, his remark was, your glue guy to be your leader. And... Um, it was kind of an interesting observation that kind of speaks to where Kavarius Hayes is. Because I think he's kind of, he's certainly the team's blue guy, but, you know, Mike White's like, well, he's our leader, no question. Yeah, that's interesting. And um, I think that's what, uh, that's what makes it tough even too when a lot of times the guys who are taking a lot of the shots for Florida and the guys who maybe have been noted for taking a lot of bad shots, uh, when they're not the leaders of the team, I mean, those, uh, those misses can be a lot louder. <laughs> You know, when guys go uh, three for 11 or something, um, when, it's, uh, when it's someone who's, you know, maybe not showing leadership and maybe doesn't have that same respect, um, that can hurt. And that's one thing about, that's one thing about Kavarius. And we're back. A uh, little technical issue there, but um, nothing that you guys will notice too much as I'm going to edit it. But uh, <laughs> the, we were talking about just, just Florida's sort of, la- I think, a leadership vacuum. Um, and, and I don't mean that to like, I feel like we kind of have beat up Kayvon Allen a little bit. Um, and I don't want to do that because I think, I do really think that, that five is given everything he has at this point. Yeah. I think he just kind of is what he is and trying to force <laughs> him into a leadership role. If he's not um, kind of clear, clearly, I don't think he's really geared towards that. I think he's a bit of a leader in the way that he just acts and definitely not a vocal leader. But um, yeah, when, by the time a guy like that gets to be a senior, um, I think he just kind of is what he is and trying to force him to be a vocal leader isn't going to happen. So um, you take his example of hard work right. and the kind of leadership elements. Um, but yeah, I, I don't think you can uh, kind of get mad for having a personality that he just obviously isn't geared towards. It's, uh, 
you know, I think Kayvon has been more aggressive um, for the most part with the basketball. Uh, I thought that certainly defensively he he did the best he could on, on Lamar Peters. Florida, the way that they guarded him was a little weird. I thought Florida's actual pick-and-roll defense was kind of bad at times. Um, and, and that's, I guess, easy against somebody like Lamar Peters kind of bad on that but Florida also helped high a lot which is a big no-no uh defending that kind of ball action isn't it yeah and the one thing that made me uh kind of upset is like uh I, one thing I, I just feel like you always kind of notice in basketball is if you let a guy get a wide open uncontested three um he's not only going to hit that one but he's going to hit the next tough three um, just the, to see the easy one go through the hoop it probably means he's going to shoot the next one with confidence even if there's someone in his face and um, we saw Lamar Peters um, when Okaru got his brief stretch of basketball. He went in and just absolutely flew by Lamar Peters on a pump fake. Lamar Peters is, you know, has a wide open three, drills it, and then the next possession comes down and drills a contested three. And then the next one, he used that awesome dribble move to get to the hoop. And, by, you know, so that was one, one mistake by Okaru, got um, Lamar Peters into a rhythm that led to two threes and a shot at the rim. And you also saw with Tyson Carter in the second half, uh, Kayvon Allen did the same thing where he just absolutely flew by on a pump fake from Tyson Carter. He had a wide open three and the next possession, he hit one from 27 feet that was contested. So it was one of those things that was like, you know, two defensive errors, but it was like four three pointers. It was like 12 points just because, you know, you let, you let that easy, easy three go through by flying by on a pump fake. And um, he's going to be super confident shooting the next one. Yeah, the true stats uh, shot chart that kind of marks contested jump shots versus uncon- quote-unquote uncontested jump shots counts the Okaru one where he flies by as an uncontested jump shot. So the actual number of contested three-pointers that Miss State hit was six. They shot six of ten on contested, shot four of seven on uncontested uh, to, to finish 10 of 17, 60% from downtown tough to win a game on the road against a rake team when you defend the three-point line at a 60 percent clip but some of that is misstate making shots yeah that's there's something to be said for the for that for sure um like i said i i think part of it comes <laughs> down to um allowing the open threes that kind of give them the confidence but part of that is just yeah. kind of luck part of that's and and i know that that's kind of you know for a, for a podcast that's trying to you know break down the x's and o's saying well they hit some lucky sh- Probably doesn't sound like great analysis, but uh, but that's basketball. That's what home court <laughs> advantage is. That's what it's like to shoot on your own rims. Uh, it happens from time to time. And um, uh, in a game that was one possession, does that hurt for Florida? Yeah, it really stings that they had that many tough shots. Um, but you hope that maybe it comes around and Florida can have a few games like that. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, Florida's up 66-61. And I thought in the last two minutes of the game – Two and a half at that point. Their best defensive possession was that one. Uh, they forced a 25-foot contested three-pointer, and Eric Holman knocks it down. Right. That's probably – and, I mean, I know he's a he's a good stretch shooter, but um, not in that – you know, he's a, he's a catch-and-shoot corner guy. Um, I think getting that, you know, semi-contested 25-footer, that's, uh, that's, a, pretty, <laughs> that's a pretty good defensive possession, and, and it fell. And uh, that was kind of one of the turning points. Right, right. Um, now, you know, I guess we could go. Let's just talk about Florida's offense down the stretch because this is where um, I thought 
that Florida kind of got the matchup they wanted on what was essentially their last offensive possession. And here we get back to Kayvon Allen, and, and I just mentioned that he has been more aggressive. And the reason I said at times was this is one of those examples to me where he, he didn't do what I'm sure he was coached to do. And I, I'm sure he was coached to do it because as a coach, you don't run the sort of cut that Florida ran to create that switch if you don't want him to attack it, right? Totally. Yeah, I mean, uh, Florida runs a cut. They get Allen around, back around the corner. They get a misstate big to switch on to Allen. And Allen starts towards the basket and then passes, which I'm sure was not what was what he was supposed to do. Well, and he had, uh, you know, a couple of possessions before in the clutch had that, like, really awkward kind of, like, floater jump shot yeah, prayer shot. With, like, ten, with, like, 10 seconds on the shot clock. And I thought that was a terrible shot, like really yep. a truly terrible shot, terrible. Um, given given the clock situation. Um, and I, I think that that's yeah, that was a bad error. And that's kind of this is you know the second kind of podcast in in not too long where we're talking about some uh, some kind of bad decisions down in the clutch. And and that is too bad because like you said, people want aggressive Kfon, but um, uh, he doesn't always uh, doesn't always make the best decisions in those in those situations and. Uh, I think you maybe are, are seeing why he was a little bit hesitant, but um, I, I was a little bit, I, you know, the bad shot was, was probably more off putting to me, but also like you said, you probably didn't want to see him passing out of that switch. No, I mean, that's just not a guy that's going to be able to keep up with him. And the, and the thing that you saw with Mississippi state now, when I say this, you know, let's all be honest and, and say Lamar Peters and Quindary Weatherspoon in particular, are going to be better drivers than, than what Florida has, given that they're not getting anything from Jalen Hudson, who who we'll talk about in a second. But but the Gators, uh, you know, that's a switch you can attack and drive and, and create a pass and maybe a basket off of. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think we kind of – Florida got schooled a little bit from those guys, like you said, that are um, a little more uh, skilled in that area, um, probably a little more um, – a little more experienced at, at some of those positions. And yeah, it was interesting to see, you know, a Florida team that wants to uh, dribble drive, um, get, uh, get just burned by for a lot of catch and shoot threes from Mississippi state. <laughs> yep. Um, so Florida's Florida is worse than the sec right now in three point defense. Um, despite being in the top 10 nationally in efficiency, uh, and they're worse in three point defense, despite playing a Tennessee team that, not terrific from the perimeter and an Arkansas team that nobody could hit any shots. That is really interesting. And (laughs) tells you how bad it's been the other two games. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, part of that has been uh, Florida's scheme a little bit. I mean, when they play, they played that one, three, one zone a little bit more recently, and that's, uh, that's going to give up some open threes. And I think um, protecting the rim is always going to be more important than the three point line. Um, but, uh, and then, like you said, we look at some of those threes that Mississippi state was hitting and, and even Tennessee to see Eve ponds knock down a couple of threes. Like, uh, there has been some <laughs> padlock for Florida. Yeah, no doubt. Um, the Gators now two and 11, I had it at three and 11. Cause Florida won the Arkansas game by six, which also shows you how deceptive that statistic can be. But in this case, because it's so disparate, I really think we've talked about it a little bit, but it's a trend line now. Two and 11 
in the last two seasons in games decided by five points or less. I know a lot of people made fun of our friend Kevin Brockway for kind of coming up with that number, and Billy Donovan was 58 and 75 in those games in his tenure at Florida. So, you know, as a program, I guess Florida's been a little bit unlucky in those games. But it feels like Florida really struggles to close things out the last two seasons. It does. And I mean, uh, it's kind of funny too. You look at, you know, one of those wins Florida won at the, at the, like in the, in the one possession game was a, was a pick six from Chris Chioza, you know, like that was yeah. awesome by him, but in the scheme of basketball, I would say that is more, I don't want to say lucky because it was a great individual play, but you know, that's, that's not a, a team executing so well that you close out a game like that. Um, right. Yeah. I mean, Brockway took a lot of heat for, for retweeting those things out, but I mean, I think when the sample size, it's just like I was talking about before in a, in a few one possession games, I think it's a little bit of luck, but when you get to a sample size of, of that many basketball games and it's, and the, the outcome is so heavily one-sided, I, I think that's a legitimate trend. And I think that um, that's a little bit of problems again in, in coaching and, and a little bit of kind of your roster kind of makeup. So I, I think that's a very legitimate stat, even though yeah, Brockway took a lot of heat from some people when he tweeted it out. I, I think it's very legitimate. I think it's a very legitimate stat to bring up. So, so we're getting on like, and, and, and I mean, I think when you're nine and seven, one and three in the sec and, and you really are devoid of all, but I mean, I think Florida has one, one quality win right now. Uh, that's it. They've lost every other opportunity to kind of get one. Um, yeah, I mean, we kind of that the job, the idea behind this podcast was to give this program that deserves it exposure. It was also, you know, kind of a promise between myself and, and any of the guests. And obviously, we have Eric on most of the time. Uh, to, to be honest, and I, look, uh, Florida, Florida's got some guys right now, Keystone and Jalen Hudson in particular, that are basically unplayable. Yeah, unplayable is the right word. Um, when and it, what just sucks is, I mean, when you've got your your redshirt juniors and your redshirt seniors that uh, that aren't um, aren't producing, I mean that that's tough. And I think that it's uh, it, it's just crazy because some people have been talking about like, oh, you know, the season is lost, which I don't agree with. But some people are like, oh, the season is lost. Um, we should just kind of turn it over to the young players and start to get them experience. Uh, the the fact of the matter is. Uh, playing the young guys isn't about ter- the season being up and, and giving them experience. It's that the young guys are the team's best chance at winning right now. Uh, the the three freshmen have been some of the three best players, and uh, some of the you know some of the most veteran players have been the worst. So it's not even a matter of oh we should play the young guys just because the season is done and we should get them some experience. It's uh, no these young guys are giving us the best basketball. So uh, that is just something I I never expected. I thought that our veteran starting lineup that consisted of Jalen Hudson and, and Keith Stone in my mind was, was going to be super efficient and hard to guard and uh, closing out games because of their experience. And it just hasn't been the case. Yeah. I mean, in Florida had some games uh, last season, certainly when they were hard to guard and had a host of games, um, especially with Johnny Boone when, when they were very hard to guard the year prior. So, um, this has been sort of a regression back to the the offense we saw the first season under Mike White, and a lot of that is yeah because upperclassmen aren't producing and, and how bad is it? Um, Jalen Hudson and Keith Sutter eight for forty from the field in SEC play. Oh um, my goodness! Keith, Keith Stone has scored in one basketball game in conference play. One. He's got goose eggs in the other three. Uh, I mean, this you know, and, and I I said on Twitter. Well, I said a lot on Twitter 
happen again, as, as you probably saw. But, but I think, um, you know, Keith, Keith, uh, Keith defends a little bit. Jalen against Mississippi State didn't even really defend, which is probably why he, he vanished to the bench. Yeah, I just uh, – to see even the some of these games where Jalen Hudson hasn't played well and you see him playing 16 or 17 or 18 minutes, I mean, obviously that's not the kind of starting minutes you expected from him. But when you see the fact that he's not knocking down shots or defending at a high level, you just – you even wonder how he gets up to playing 15 minutes, um, especially when you see guys like uh, like our guy Keontae Johnson is uh, is playing good basketball. Yeah, it's it's tough. And, and so um... – you know, I guess the conclusion on that, and this is this just gets back to what I said because a lot of people, no, that's not fair. There were some people that read my epic Twitter thread as as being, uh, and I just say epic because it was long, not because it was smart or good, but 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 because uh, I wasn't, you know, oh, you're you're my quite apology, and I, I'm not. I like Coach White, and I still think Coach is beautiful Florida. I'll say that now, just like I said it a month ago. And I don't think this season is lost either. Uh, but I think Saturday's their Alamo. We're going to get to that in a second. I do think that Coach White will – and this happens at the end of every year, but, but Florida needs to step back and sort of evaluate where the program is. And what you might see when that happens for the first time in the White era is you may see substantial changes. I don't mean necessarily on the coaching staff, although I don't think anything's off limits based on the way that they've started and the way they struggle to close games, particularly offensively, to create baskets. Uh, but then, of course, Tuesday they couldn't get stops. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think everything from strength and conditioning from, to nutrition to, to how they spend the summer together and what they do in the summer, um, you know, I, I don't think anything will be off limits, uh, including, you know, personnel. I mean, I, I wouldn't be surprised at this point if you see – one, maybe two, perhaps even three transfers. Yeah, I, uh, I, I think that just kind of from, from what I've, uh, from what I've been hearing from uh, some conversations I've had with people in the program and, and surrounding it, that some, some transfers certainly aren't, aren't off the table. And um, though that probably wouldn't be super uh, indicative of a healthy program to see just like tons of transfers in one season, I think that there's kind of some belief that the the mix of personalities isn't right. And that was just one thing I was kind of thinking about when you were, when you were talking about um, just kind of make, taking a step back and looking at kind of everything about the program. And I think it's already happened, but I think that's something that's been kind of figured out is that uh, having the right mix of personalities is, is about as much as is important to skill set. And I think that some people are going to find that kind of tough at times because uh, so often people just look at recruiting rankings and they want to see, they want to see top 100 right. kids and they want to see stars. And um, I, I just wonder if, if the, and I think you kind of see that with a lot of people when they first kind of get their, their power five job. And I think I would be the same way if I was a head coach coming from mid major to a power five that um, you come to Florida and it's, you know, you suddenly realize you can get in on these, on these top 100 kids and, um, and you need top 100 talent. There's no question. Um, yeah. But at the same time, I, I think you might have to look back and say like, hey, maybe we need this this three star guy that we know can can show some leadership and be around for a long time and um, and just be a program guy. And uh, it's and that's some you know, going to kind of commit to spending extra hours in the gym and going to commit to uh, the kind of individual growth and and maybe someone that is more vocal and and maybe treating 
the fact that someone's vocal as a skill, because I think there's too many guys that are uh, quiet, quiet guys on the team. I think there needs to be more guys who are outgoing and can talk and communicate and, um, and, and kind of have a little bit of that dog in them that they want the ball in the final possession. And uh, I think that might be a little bit hard because people at Florida are not going to be excited if they say, um, you know, X players committed to Florida and they go to 24 seven sports and see that he's the 227th ranked player. But um, uh, I, I think there might have to be kind of some, some looks at, at things like that. And uh, maybe a grad transfer kind of uh, helps things like out like that in the, in the short term or, or a true transfer. And I mean, if uh, you know, if another, if another player transfers out, we could kind of see uh, the full host of things from a Juco transfer to a true transfer to a grad transfer and uh, kind of everything. So, um, I, I do think there's going to be some uh, a serious look at things like that. Yeah, and you brought up an important point um, that that you think that's ongoing, and, and I do. I'm not saying that Mike White's not doing that now. I, I don't know. I mean, obviously, I'm not in the guy's head, and I'm not inside a basketball building. And I, you know, knowing what I know about Mike White, though, I'm sure that that's an ongoing evaluation. Uh, but I think, obviously, at the end of the season, it's also a little easier to just kind of step back, take inventory. Okay, here's what failed. Here's what failed. Here's what's a problem. And, you know, I'd be, I'd be astonished, and quite frankly, I'd be discouraged if, if something wasn't kind of shaken up, uh, even if it's just one or two personnel pieces. Well, and I think the, uh, like you said, just the, the thing about waiting for um, the off season is just the fact that um, Florida might have some open scholarships and, and that's a better way to, uh, to be able to really take a look back and say, um, Hey, what do we want to do here? Um, because it's one thing, you know, last year didn't end in the way that uh, probably a lot of the coaching staff and, and, and fans kind of expected um, just because I, I think probably a lot of us thought the team was going to be, you know, better than a six seed and whatever, but uh, uh, you know, the, there was still the recruiting class was, was kind of set up. You knew who's coming in. So, uh, right. and obviously the recruiting class has been great so far, but um, you know, it's not like, you know, who do we, uh, you know, if we have an open scholarship, what, what angle do we take? And, and I think that this season, this year, when we might come to summer and there's going to be at least one scholarship open, perhaps more as we alluded to. Um, yeah. You really have a chance to say like, Hey, what, what do we, what do we want? What's the mix here? Um, what, what can we do to, uh, to change things and in the short term and the long term, if it's maybe a true transfer. So uh, that, that, I think that's, um, yeah, I think it's, there's probably a mix of obviously the, um, the ongoing, but also there is going to be a good opportunity in, in the spring and the summer to, uh, to kind of step back and take a bigger look. Yeah, no, I mean, I think all that, uh, all that's true. And, and Florida, uh, you know, they're going to have certainly at least one scholarship already open. Um, and we'll see where they go with it. But for now, they still have basketball to play uh, this season. A lot of it, um, starting Saturday in, in a game, I kind of feel like is their uh, their Alamo. We we American history students might say um, a road game against a Georgia team that I don't think is very good. I think mostly it's because Georgia doesn't have a ton of talent. Um, it's just not a very inspiring roster. We both have respect for Tom Crean, the coach. Yeah, I have respect for Tom Crean. I have respect for their front court players in Georgia right now. Um, I don't love their guards, and I think that's just a, a tough way to win basketball games when you don't have uh, when you don't have great play from your guards. And um, it kind of starts even too with the fact that um, you know their two leading scores are, are front court players, 
Um, if you want to call Rayshon Hammonds a front court player, I, I kind of kind of do though. He can definitely shoot the ball a little bit and, and play on the perimeter. Um, yeah. But uh, you know, you look at uh, yeah, those are the two top scores. Then uh, you know, a guard in in Crump. But then it's uh, you know, it's Derek o- Obede, uh, who's a you know very pure, true kind of post player. So um, when when so much of your offense is kind of uh, from those guys, I think it, that's what kind of leads to the roster maybe not being super uh, exciting or electrifying. So. And yeah, in you in, know, in the first year of the Tom Green era, that's um, that's what's going to happen. And uh, yeah, you you, you got to you, you know he's playing with a uh, with a deck he inherited, not the one he was dealt, I guess, the one he, he decided he chose. But uh, uh, you know, and I think he'll have this program going. But but right now, this is a team that um, I don't think defends very well because they have to just play pretty big. And uh, I think Florida can attack them. Um, I'm not super scared of them from from a backcourt. Uh, uh, kind of standpoint, which the, you know the last few opponents definitely have scared me. And if if Florida can kind of uh, keep the same offense that against Mississippi State, I think they're going to be able to put up a lot of points. Yeah, you know I don't know how much they'll get inside. Nicholas Claxton's a pretty good shot blocker. Um, I didn't look at Georgia's foul rate. Uh, I know Richard Hammonds has always had a pretty. I, I think he – or Ogbede, sorry, has, ha- has always had a pretty uh, high foul rate. I don't know about what Rishon Hammonds is it was. Um, so I can't really answer that question. But Florida is not really a team that, that gets inside and draws a lot of fouls anyway. So <laughs> I'm not sure how much good that stat does in terms of previewing the game. A guy that really beat Florida up pretty bad last year was Turtle Jackson. Um, and – you know, he hasn't quite been uh, the same player um, this season. He's only playing about 20 minutes a game, so he's about their seventh man now. He's he's uh, only averaging five points a game. Of course, he wasn't averaging much more than that last year when he beat Florida. And then everybody remembers all the big shots Tyler Trump hit in the uh, Georgia win in the Odom that made people so mad, myself included, uh, last season. Well, yeah, I mean, what's crazy, obviously, is, you know, Georgia wasn't a very good team last year, totally, um, but they beat Florida twice. And uh, something that I think is really interesting is, um, you know, in a season that uh, Jalen Hudson played really good basketball, um, in the one game, he was um, he was three for 14 from the floor. And then in the other game, he had zero points in, uh, in 22 minutes. So... Uh, it was kind of interesting to see that in a season that Florida was, or sorry, that Jalen Hudson was playing really good basketball. He really, really struggled in both of those games. And um, you know, if, if last season, if last season when he was playing good basketball, his uh, you know, his uh, playing against Georgia was, uh, was kind of foreshadowing this season. I hope that playing Georgia this year is kind of like a flashback to last year. Maybe he can, he can break out. And um, it's kind of interesting. I went to, I went back and, uh, and watched the game. Um, this afternoon and uh, it was just it, it looked like this season Jay Hudson just to be honest where he just uh, his shots weren't falling and um, he was kind of like hunting them in weird parts of the floor but um, the other thing too is yeah when you look back at, at last season uh, I would say that obviously Yante Mayton was awesome in both games it's great that he's not there and I mean Juwan Parker was was really good as well and obviously he's not yeah. there um, especially in the in the game against uh, that was in the O-Dome um, uh, Chris Chioza was two for 14 from the floor and was just really bothered by Juwan Parker. So um, it's kind of nice that, uh, yeah, those two uh, two of the best players are obviously not there anymore. 
So Nicholas Claxton actually does a really good job of defending without fouling so far uh, this season. It's probably why he's played 38 minutes against Auburn and 39 minutes against Kentucky. Wow. That's a lot. Uh, (laughs) um, Rashawn Hammonds does foul at an exceptionally high rate. In fact, he's in the bottom 20% of uh, players nationally in in fouls per minute. So he's a guy that that, – he can, he can score a lot, and he's a good rebounder and actually a pretty decent interior passer, but you get moving at him, you can get him to value. Yeah, that, that's interesting to note. And um, if Florida can get some kind of uh, – some of those cuts towards the rim that they had, had last year, hopefully they can get those guys in foul trouble because that's not a, uh, not a particularly deep team, of course. And um, one thing, too, that uh, – this is something that came up that I, I just did my, uh, my preview for Gator Country – um, this, this is something I found kind of really weird, just, just weird, maybe interesting, but more just weird. So, um, Georgia is, uh, from a defensive standpoint, Georgia is 20th in effective field goal percentage allowed. They are 55th wow. in three point percentage allowed, and they are 22nd in two point percentage allowed. Those are which, good numbers. They are good numbers. And all three, like all three of those are better than Florida sizably for anyone who is keeping track at home. Um, however, they are 82nd in defensive efficiency, according to Ken Baum. I just so, which is really weird because I don't think they're very good defensively, and I watch them play. And I mean, if you, um, you know, watch them, uh, you know, just watch their games. They gave up, you know, 96 to Tennessee, and 93 to Auburn, and 82 to Vanderbilt, 81 to Oakland, 92 to Texas Southern, or sorry, 75 to Texas Southern. Even um, Georgia State, they had they gave up 91 points to. So. Um, it seems like they're, they're leaking a lot of points and it's not because they play really fast or anything. They, they do play fairly fast, but not super fast, but it's just really weird that their percentages defensively are, are really, really good as you, as people probably could tell from your very surprised tone. Um, yet, uh, just overall, they haven't been defending. So I don't really just, I don't really know how that works to be, uh, uh to be quite frank, other than the fact that they do give up a lot of offensive turnover or uh, offensive rebounds. Um, they don't turn you over. They don't. Uh, they don't get steals. They don't force turnovers. Um, so, uh, and uh, you know, I I think that they they probably you know, like you said, some of those guys foul a lot. So maybe they're sending people to the line. But uh, it's a really weird story. Of uh, they're giving up a lot of points. They're not good at defensive efficiency, according to Ken Palm. Yet they're just uh, you know their field goal percentages allowed are are really really good. So uh, just really that's I just find it really strange. Yeah, that's. Uh... That's that's pretty interesting. It's a game where I really wish. Well, I mean, I, I think it's got to be a game that that is important for for Florida to get Keontae Johnson involved. Uh, we we kept saying it on in the starting lineup. I think Florida found a starting five in Starkville, maybe. Um, which, you know, I think it's interesting that it's three freshmen, right? But uh, but I think I think. Keontae has to be in the starting lineup because Florida needs somebody that can get downhill and at the basket. Right. And I mean, if, if Keontae Johnson's going to play, you know, 25 minutes again, like he did the other night and he doesn't start, then, you know, whatever, at least he's playing tons of minutes and, you know, the old, <laughs> the old coaching thing, it's not who starts, it's who finishes. And, um, but, I, but I really think with that starting group, he makes the most sense. And he was, uh, he played really well off Andrew Nemhart. Um, Nemard and yeah. uh, I thought that kind of just was another reason why maybe he should be in that starting lineup. And um, the other thing too is, uh, I, I mean, Georgia is not the best example of it because they don't have someone who is really going to hurt you there. But um, I just think eventually playing three guards 
or you know playing playing your two guard and your you know guy at the three spot that are both kind of like six two and Kayvon Allen and and uh, Noah Lock. Uh, you know, eventually you're going to need a little bit more height kind of on the floor to contest a jump shot. And uh, I think Keontae Johnson could uh, could play that role pretty good. And um, I think there. I, I still actually think there might be some some games coming up for Florida where they might want Keontae Johnson at the three to handle some kind of bigger wings. And he hasn't played yeah. like any three this year, to be honest. But, um, you know, if he's going to knock down jump shots. Um, yeah, <laughs> like against Kentucky, <laughs> against his, uh, you know, against his uh, – if, if Keldon Johnson plays the three, you know, you might want uh, – you might want Keontae playing the three as well. So um, just, yeah, yeah. So just kind of getting him out there uh, more minutes. Um, I, I think he's done pretty much everything. Um, his game still does lack some polish. Um, he got backdoor cut a few times. He actually got, you know, I was watching the final play of the game against Mississippi state just to kind of see how everything went down. And, um, you know, it obviously didn't, uh, uh, didn't matter because they didn't give him the ball and they still scored anyways, but Keontae Johnson actually got caught ball watching and got backdoor cut. And, um, you know, if, if Weatherspoon wanted to pass the ball, uh, Keontae's man probably would have had a layup just because uh, Keontae Johnson got a little, uh, got his eyes pretty stuck on the ball there and got back to a cut. But um, he, I mean, he's, I, I would say just generally speaking, he's been obviously really, really good. The fact that he knocked down three, three pointers is awesome. And the fact he kept some, uh, some offensive possessions alive with his rebounding. Um, yeah. just, he made winning plays. Yeah, he does make winning plays. So let's talk about uh, we haven't we actually haven't talked about the last uh, the last play. So we should probably kind of talk about that real quick. Getting back to that Miss State loss, I know everybody wants to move on, and then maybe a final thought on uh, Georgia. But but it looked like to me on, on the lob pass that Florida lost on uh, against South Carolina. The the story after was that. Florida was supposed to have somebody on the ball and there was a miscommunication and no one was on the ball. Um, I don't know whether that's the case on the last play. Cause it seemed like that would be when you go to your one, two, two, make sure you have somebody on the ball and then slip back to man. No. Yeah. I, it, potentially. Um, the, just the, I'm just like the way that they lined up with Noah Locke at the top of that one two two, um, just kind of made it that which is what they're doing all game. Kind of makes it look like that's just what they were looking for. Um, but the thing with the one two two is that you know you're hoping for the ball to get to one kind of side of the court, um, for a lob pass to the other side of the court that's forced, and then they can kind of run up the court and it's you know it's four or five or six seconds off the shot clock. Um, the problem and Florida's actually been pretty good at it. Um, the problem was on that last possession, uh, it was just crazy. Quindary Weatherspoon um, just drove it into the teeth of the one of the one two two. Went right at um, Noah Locke. Kind of just forced everyone to kind of match up because uh, he wasn't getting forced to the to the baseline. And I mean, um, he wasn't even at the three point line yet, and he was already at a full sprint. He had just cooked Noah Locke, and um, I mean that's a tough spot for for Noah Locke to. Uh, have to guard a guy like that essentially in the full court because of uh the way that that kind of one two two pressure collapsed and um knowing that you probably wanted a better defender at the uh at the top of that zone um not that Noah Locke is bad but playing a a, a bigger guard like that um and maybe that's kind of what they wanted because I did wonder if they probably wanted their better defenders on a Lamar Peters who is far more electric in that game um yeah but just to see but just to see um just to see him uh, 
just straight line drive by Noah Locke and get right to the hoop at, at full sprint um, is just not great defense for a team that really prides itself on defense. Yeah, I mean, I just I just thought Florida needed somebody on the ball earlier, and you, and you, met, you mentioned it. Like, you, you try to get somebody on the ball as quickly as possible to force a ball reversal, right? So, um, Florida, <laughs> Florida just didn't come anywhere close to doing that. And then, uh, you know, in a game where he was excellent, Javarius uh, Hayes makes a just kind of a mind-boggling play, didn't he? I'm I'm actually in, uh, I'm I'm not uh, totally in agreement just because yeah. like right. I, I I know yeah <laughs> I I mean all I'm gonna say is uh, when a guy is barreling in at you at full speed from the kind of the three point line like got beat so cleanly and was coming yeah. at that pace um, that's a pretty tough play to step up on especially when you're right at the hoop and you know the moment you step up he's probably gonna have a drop off opportunity and um, and that's kind of what they had. Um, throughout the game, there was kind of those uh, those kind of drop offs to Adu and, and and Holman when he ventured down there, and I and I could just kind of tell from the way that his his feet were aligned that um, uh, th- that I think he was wor- that Kavarius Hayes was was worried about that drop off pass. Um, but the other thing I'll say is it, it seemed like Hayes was just truly surprised at how quickly he, that ball got to the hoop. Um, usually, you know, if a guy gets beat off the dribble. It, he maybe takes one bump from the on-ball defender and it, and it slows him down. But I mean, Weatherspoon was at f- full stride. Um, you know, he was at full full speed instantly. And, um, you know, Hayes had just a split second to make a decision. And, um, you know, I think he did probably ultimately, you'd probably rather see him contest a shot at the rim. But I think the thought process at the time is um, uh, was that he wasn't, he didn't want to, you know, step up and then have the pass go behind him for, for a layup. And, uh, um, like you know, it's, it's, it's tough, but, um, you know, I look at a play like that and, and I am a little more concerned with the fact that, you know, Noah Locke just got clean burnt than I am the help defender, just because, I mean, it's one thing to be a help defender, um, you know, in the normal kind of circumstance, but that's pretty atypical to have just a straight line drive coming at that speed at you. And, um, so I do sympathize with Hayes and, and I think staying at home might've been the better decision other than, um, you know, uh, he found himself in a situation where he kind of had to take a little bit of contact and, and flop a bit and, and hope that they gave the charge, which it obviously wasn't even close to, to that being the case. Yeah. I mean, look, um, no, I think that's, an, that's interesting. And I, this is, this is one of those times where, where I, you know, you make a pretty persuasive argument. I'm not really sure that I, you know, I don't know. I'm not mad about that take. I'm not sad about it, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think it's pretty good. Uh, yeah, I mean, first and foremost, we're, we're in agreement on, on Locke getting torched on the play. And, you know, that's unfortunate, but he's a freshman and, and Q is all the player. So <laughs> that's going to happen. Um, we tell our players, try to do what you're best at as much as possible. And... That, to me, I felt like Kavarius Hayes altered a lot of shots in that game. Um, I don't think any with people coming at that speed. Although there was one baseline drive by Weatherspoon earlier in the game where I thought he missed because Kavarius went straight up and just Q got worried and kind of lofted it over him. Um, you know, So I would have certainly rather seen Kavarius Hayes do what he's best at and try to alter the shot. Um if they if they drop it off and and they get a layup, 
you know, I don't know. You got to trust whoever the help side is there to, to help the helper. Which, which I was actually going to note um, because the play happened so quickly. I, I don't think Kavarius Hayes expected there to be help to, you know, help the helper. But uh, Nemhard actually read the play super well. It was like as soon as um, that first dribble, like on the three-point line, happened from from uh, Weatherspoon, you could tell that Andrew Nemhard knew that Locke was cooked, and he actually ran right to the hoop, and and uh, he was actually ready to to kind of help the helper. And and uh, I, my guess is that Tavares Hayes was not expecting that, but um, he yeah, Nemhard actually played that play really well. He was there where he needed to be, and even uh, Kayvon Allen was ready to uh, ready to rotate over if the the ball got kicked out to um, to who Nemar was covering. So, so actually, those guys obviously didn't come into play, but those guys actually defended uh, really well in that situation. They were ready for it for that ball to either go inside or um, go to the three point line and um, and uh, and rotate. And um, yeah, then Keontae Johnson got back cut, so he didn't get a pass. But <laughs> luckily, it didn't matter. Yeah, I mean, by the way. The fact that Nemard was that locked into it is what led me to my theory that there could have been another miscommunication. Because I think, I think Nimhard saw what was happening so fast because somebody, maybe it was Locke, didn't do what they were supposed to do. Like maybe Noah was supposed to be much higher up the court. When, well, you understand? Like I don't. Know. Yeah. Well, well. Well. Once again, I mean, if you're playing a one-two-two, um, Locke can't. Locke can't let Weatherspoon catch the ball near kind of the left side of the court and then instantly take it middle. And that's what happened. Um, yeah. You know, he took it, you know, he, um, you know, the inbound came and it was to, you know, the left side of the court from an attacking standpoint. And then he just <laughs> turned and went center. And then when he turned his shoulders to the left, he was by lock just over half. So um, I will say that that's, unless they were, they were just trying to show one, two, two, and then, and then match up out of it. Um, maybe that's what they were doing. But I mean, if if it was the way in which Florida and any other team plays a one-two-two, um, that ball's got to you know the ball gets caught on the sideline. Noah Lot can't allow him to go middle, and then you know he has to make a pass, and and obviously that didn't happen. So yeah, um, I, that yeah, you could uh, your theory of something going wrong there. Um, very good chance that that was the case. <laughs> well, and, and I just bring it up because because I think people hammer the coaching staff, and you know yeah, I'm sure you. Much as possible, it's kind of hard to replicate. At least on this team, it's hard to replicate a uh, Quindary Weatherspoon. But, but you know, you have to listen and do your job in the game. The coaches can't go out and physically put you where you're supposed to be. Yeah, and that's kind of the thing. And and I and I, de- I mean, I definitely don't mean this to uh, to hammer on Noah Locke either, because I, you know, I don't. Uh, yeah, not meant to do that, but I mean, like. If if Locke doesn't uh, doesn't get torched on that last possession and just you know forces a tougher shot, maybe the outcome of the game is different. And um, because the game because they lost, it was you know instantly coaching. And um, I'm not to say oh it shouldn't be coaching; it should all be on you know Noah Locke. That's not the case either. But um, the blame should be kind of you know spread around the team as a as a team sport. And um, even yeah. not not even from the standpoint of it's a 40 minute game and, and there's lots of other things that could change even from, from the last, um, the last possession, like you said, you know, you would have, you would have appreciated if, um, yeah, you know, you would have appreciated if Kavarius Hayes did something a little bit differently. Um, maybe we both think that the team, you know, just the defensive play call could have been different from coach white. Um, you know, maybe, uh, uh, you know, it goes down to, you know, like, and I'm not saying this is the case, but you know, maybe Andrew Neymar needs to yell louder to Kavarius Hayes that he's got his help so that he can step up. You know, there's just 
so many things that go down into this that um, uh, a lot of people are just like, hey, you know, mid-major Mike, that's, you know, chokes another one. That's kind of what a lot of people on Twitter, and that's just, uh, I don't agree with that. Yeah, yeah, it's rough. Um, so, Florida, uh, really, I think, I think you want to you play in the NCAA tournament this year. Kind of has to start Saturday. What's a, what's the final thought from you on the on the, the game in Athens? Yeah, this is just a loss um, you can't have. It's a loss you can't take. And um, you know, you were talking about uh, the NCAA tournament, and um, it's it's too late in the podcast. We don't have to go super into this, but something I just uh, kind of figured out and, and tweeted before um, uh, before the podcast was just the fact that Florida is kind of far and away the highest um, at nine wins. Um, as teams with just single digits in the win cat, um, column, they're, you know, far and away the highest team in Ken Palm, far and away the highest team in the net rating in Sagarin in the Massey in the Massey composite, um, Florida's far and away the, uh, um, uh, the, the highest rated team. And part of that is just really frustrating because of, because of how some of these games have slipped and how perception could be different. But at the same time, I mean, if Florida can get a bunch of wins or, or just some wins and, and have kind of a, a bit of a respectable total there. Um, the metrics look kindly upon them. So they just need to take yeah. care of the game. They need to take care of the games like Georgia. And then they need to take care of, you know, Texas A&M on the road. And then um, TCU, who's just lost a bunch of guys to transfer and, uh, and, and their point guard in, in Jalen Fisher. Um, you know, that's a win you can get. I mean, you get those wins and you're, you're starting to make some strides. And um, by that time they'll be playing, you know, if they can win those three games, then they're playing Ole Miss who's suddenly ranked. And that, that gives you, you an opportunity for a big, and, I, and I'm not trying to just get too far ahead of ourselves here, but um, it's just, you've got to avoid the games that you've got to avoid the losses like Georgia and then um, get some confidence towards a game like Mississippi that's winnable. And then, um, and then from there you can start building a resume. So, um, you know, is Georgia a, a big time win opportunity? Um, no, but it's, it's a loss. They just can't take. Yeah, that's pretty much my thought. I think I looked at this as a, you've got a seven game stretch here where you win five of them. You're guaranteed two resume wins. Guaranteed. doesn't matter who the five wins are against here. Um, you know, so, but, but I say that, and if you go five and two in that stretch and one of the losses is to Georgia or Texas A&M, then you hurt yourself as well. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's so, tough to say, like, you know, you take, you take a bad loss um, and then like, you know, what win do you need to get to like match that essentially or to, to wipe the slate right. clean and call it equal. And it's not, you know, it's um, uh, there's no like official way of, of kind of knowing that, but I mean, Florida has had a lot of losses that aren't bad losses, but are just like, ugh, like um, you, that, you know, that loss just kind of stings a bit. That, uh, and I mean, Florida's just had so many of those and they just haven't had enough good wins to, to remedy those. So, um, you know, they've got to, they've got to start with, um, with winning games like Georgia and winning games like Texas A&M and TCU. Yep. Next two games for Florida, Georgia uh, and Athens to come back home, play Texas A&M and then travel to, Fort Worth take on a TCU team that is ranked, but as Eric alluded to, in a little bit of turmoil, uh, star player Jalen Fisher leaves the program. Very weird. Uh, <laughs> all kinds of stuff going on there. I don't know what's going on with Jamie Dixon's team. They just won by like 30, so who knows? Um, <laughs> who knows if it's addition by subtraction, although I don't think so. Jalen Fisher's a really good player. But uh, thanks again to Eric, and, and hopefully – we can have a show um, at the end of this weekend where we talk about a Florida win. It seems like it's been a while now. It does. I'm, uh, I'm hoping that's the case. 